0: Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. We've got a big show this week. We've got lots of news to cover. All sorts of things happened in the past couple weeks since we did our last news show. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, privacy at the, at the border. There's been some, uh, some positive developments there. Uh, talk about net neutrality. It's actually really, really do-or-die time, for real this time. We're going to talk about another credit bureau that you probably weren't aware of. Uh, we're going to talk about Ticketmaster and how they're talking about using facial recognition now uh, in place of a paper ticket. There's some new Spectre variants out there. Those are the uh, Intel or uh, the uh, computer CPU brain chip bugs. Uh, some new ones of those to talk about. Uh, Firefox 60 has come out and it's got some really cool new features we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how up to uh, over a third of a million pacemaker owners might need to go back for a software update. Uh, you should be changing your Twitter password. We'll talk about that. why that is. Some new USB lockout feature coming into the next iOS version for all you Apple iPhone and iPad owners. GDPR is coming uh, very soon. We're going to talk about that. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, WhatsApp and why you might want to consider changing to a different messaging app. All right, first up, uh, we've talked on this show multiple times and had some really great interviews around the topic of Privacy at the border, uh, at the U.S. border, uh, and even as U.S. citizens coming in, how your Fourth Amendment and even First Amendment rights uh, have been curtailed. Uh, have, there have been some weird exceptions carved out for the uh, the U.S. border and the customs uh, area. And we've talked about this uh, particular issue a couple times with the EFF. Uh, let me just read a little, uh, a little bit from the article they posted on this, and we'll talk about it. Uh, in their post, they say, in a victory for privacy rights at the, at the border, the U.S. Court of Appeals at the Fourth Circuit today ruled that forensic searches of electronic devices carried out by border agents without any suspicion that the traveler has committed a crime violates the U.S. Constitution. The EFF has long argued that border agents need a warrant from a judge based on probable cause of criminality. To conduct electronic device searches of any kind. The Supreme Court's pre-Riley case law, and I'll just stop for a second here to note that that Riley references uh, Riley versus California, which was a case in 2014, uh, where the courts did uphold that in some cases searches did require some sort of suspicion before doing a search. So again, the Supreme Court's pre-Riley case law, however, permits warrantless searches and suspicionless routine searches of items like luggage that travelers carry across the border, a rule known as the border search exception to the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement. Based on these pre-Riley cases, the government claims it has the power to search and confiscate travelers' cell phones, tablets, and laptops at airports and border crossings for no reason or any reason or and without judicial oversight. The sues court and I hear Coles is the is the short name for the case that they are currently fighting in front of court. That's the the plaintiff. The Coles Court recognized the unique privacy interest that travelers have in their digital data and thus held, quote, particularly in the light of the Supreme Court's decision in Riley, unquote, that forensics border device searches are non-routine searches that require, quote, some form of individualized suspicion, unquote. The Fourth Circuit quoted Supreme Court precedent and concluded that the forensic border device searches are highly intrusive searches that infringe the dignity and privacy interests of individuals. The court noted the key to Riley's reasoning is his express refusal to treat cell phones as just another form of container. Okay, sorry, that's a kind of a a long-winded and legalese-laden description from the EFF there, but uh, the point being that uh, the case law around this is evolving, and Luckily, the EFF is out there fighting on our behalves to uh, bring these laws into the modern age. Because your phone and your laptop and and whatever is not the same as searching luggage. It's not the same as looking in that duffel bag for suspicious stuff or, you know, importing biological stuff that might interfere with the U.S. Or uh, obviously things like bombs and drugs and things like that. Searching cell phones and laptops is a very, very different thing. It's fundamentally different. So it's good that we're finally hammering these things out in the courts, and it looks like we're making progress. So anyway, I just want to give you an update on that—that that, that is ongoing. But uh, that was a that was a favorable decision that came down uh, in the last week. Now, net neutrality—we uh, had we've had, we talked about that a lot in this show, and it's been really kind of confusing to figure out you know when the true do or die date is for net neutrality. It, uh, for a while there, it appeared to be. Um, uh, and, uh, late April, early May. And then it turns out, well, no, through, due to some procedural stuff, they actually don't implement it right away and yada, yada, yada. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the point is that we're, it's still not dead. It's not dead yet. Um, uh, Senator Markey and some others, uh, 50 senators have agreed to back this, what's called a CRA, um, continu- Oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a congressional, uh, tool, for walking back regulations from the various agencies if they uh, if they don't approve of them. It's not used very often, uh, but it's being used in this case to try to prevent the FCC from implementing these regulations that basically kill net neutrality. Um, so anyway, it, it's been finally brought up for a vote. Uh, the rules themselves have been said to go into effect on June 11th, but the, uh, the senators have put this up for a vote and it will come to a vote. I'm not exactly sure when. But it's important, uh, as always, that you get out in front of this and try to contact your representatives, particularly your Republican senators. All Democratic senators are on board with this. Uh, We've gotten one Republican senator as well. Uh, We just need a simple majority. We need one more vote. So uh, go to battleforthenet.com. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well, but battleforthenet.com to keep up with all the information on this. Uh, and in particular, uh, I guess if you have senators in one of these following states, uh, these are the states that maybe are most likely to flip. Uh, they have Republican senators that um, that we should be trying to convince to vote in favor of this process to save net neutrality. Uh, and those states are Alaska, Louisiana, Nevada, Utah, Florida, Colorado, Ohio, and South Carolina. So if you have a Republican senator in one of those states, call them, email them, go to their online web forums and and reach out that way and tell your friends and family to do the same. Um, There's actually very broad support for this. I really don't know why this is even an issue, how we got this far in the first place. A vast majority of Republicans and Democrats support the the net neutrality, but for some reason, we're having a really hard time saving it. So get out there, let let your voice be heard. Make sure that you tell them that you're going to know and care about how they vote on this. And if nothing else, it will get everybody to be on the record for being for or against net neutrality. So uh, even if for some reason we lose this battle, and it's it's going to be close, we only need one more vote, but it's been really hard to get, uh, then we'll at least in the next time the next election comes around, we'll be able to say, well, you voted against this, so I'm voting against you. So, uh, again, we've got, you know, the time is running out, I would say, in the next week. Uh, make sure you get out there and contact your, your Republican senators. So this week I was disturbed to learn that there is yet another credit bureau uh, that you have probably never heard of. That is starting to become a lot more popular because after the Equifax debacle last year, when so many people finally got fed up and and reached out to the three major credit unions or credit bureaus and froze their credit, there is yet another one that is, I guess, becoming more prominent and more useful now because uh, most people don't know about it. And in particular, cell phone companies are using these to check people's credit history. And... Let me just read. Uh, th- I got. I found out about this from Krebs on Security. Brian Krebs is a fantastic security uh, researcher and has a great blog. And on his blog, uh, he broke this story and uh, has some great information. You should really read the whole article. There's a lot of great information there about what this is all about and, uh, and links to plenty of other good information on credit freezes and such. But let me re- just read you a portion of this. Carrie Kursky is a director of the Identity Fraud Institute at Hodges University in Naples. A big part of her job is helping local residents respond to identity theft and fraud complaints. Kursky says she's had multiple victims in her area recently complain of having cell phone accounts opened in their names, even though they had already frozen their credit files at the big three credit bureaus, those being Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. The freeze process is designed so that a creditor should not be able to see your credit file unless you unfreeze your account. A credit freeze blocks potential creditors from being able to view or pull your credit file, making it far more difficult for identity thieves to apply for new lines of credit in your name. But Kersky's investigation revealed that the mobile phone merchants weren't asking any of the four credit bureaus mentioned above. Rather, the mobile providers were making credit queries... With the National Consumer Telecommunications and Utilities Exchange, NCTUE, uh, or NCTUE.com. Okay, so there's this other credit bureau that I'd never heard of, um, that Brian has now made us aware of. And it turns out that this one is also owned by basically by Equifax. Uh, uh, You know, if you look up the business relationships, there's like, you know, three or four companies that are part of this consortium or whatever. But it turns out I think that at least two of those companies are owned by Equifax. Um, But if you got a freeze at Equifax, that does not apply to this one. They're considered separate entities. So um, just because you got your uh, successfully put in place an Equifax credit freeze, that did not freeze your credit with this NCTUE. Um, and of course the online form where you're supposed to be able to go to this, you know, at, uh, nctue.com, if you go and find the form online, which Brian tried to do, uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> so something like the services that are available, try again later or, or something like that, which, you know, not surprising. So in order for him to freeze credit at this one as well, and I guess I'm going to do this myself and I would recommend you look into it as well. Uh, you have to call uh, their 800 number, which, Uh, I'll tell you now, but I'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, 866-349-5355. 866-349-5355. And if you call them, apparently you can get through the process. It's kind of a pain. And depending on what what state you're in, like every other credit freeze, it may cost you money. Uh, Though he said that in his state, it normally costs 10 bucks for a freeze. And for some reason, they didn't charge him. So It's hard to say what it what it may or may not cost you. By the way, there are bills in front of Congress that are trying to make it free to have your credit froze no matter where you are, which should definitely be the case. Uh, There's even some bills out there uh, that are trying to uh, make it credit freeze is the default, and you actually have to call to unfreeze your credit, which I doubt that would ever pass. But uh, anyway, after the whole Equifax thing, if you're worried about identity theft and you want to keep control of that, and you're not you know, constantly getting new cell phones or new credit cards or things like that where you are you need your credit to be checked frequently, uh, I would put a credit freeze on them. And again, this article that I'm pointing you to has um, talks all about credit freezes and links to um, great information on, on how to set up your credit freezes. So check that out for sure. And I'll put that in the show notes. Ticketmaster has recently announced that they are going to attempt to use facial recognition instead of paper tickets. And I guess the way this works is you would, you know, Show the upload a picture of your face and they will have cameras at the entrances of the venues and as you walk in they will search the crowd for your face and when they find it they will let you in I honestly didn't look too much more into it to figure out how this was going to work I don't know how quickly they're going to roll this out but the main point I want to bring up is this is scary stuff and we we've got to stop thinking or start thinking about you know just because we can do something doesn't mean we should be doing it and the faces, fingerprints, iris scans, all these biometrics are really not a great way to authenticate. It, its They can be stolen. They, once you digitize these things, uh, there was a big government bureau that had uh, many, many of its employees' fingerprints, digital fingerprints, hacked and stolen. And now those people, their fingerprints are out there forever. So basically all these really cool new technologies that have to do with face and whatever are going to work Fine for a little while until all that information is stolen, and then then they're all not going to work, and they're going to have to shut them back down. So there will be some brief period in our in our digital history where where we try out these things, then all everybody's information gets gets stolen, and it becomes no longer useful, and they have to shut them down. That's my prediction. So uh, anyway, hopefully this is an opt-in thing where you can choose to do it or not, and if you get the option to do this, I would say no. We've talked a little bit in the past about Spectre and Meltdown and uh, how those are some pretty nasty hardware bugs. These were bugs that were found in the technology that runs all of our computers, the, the brains, the CPUs, the central processing units that drive all of our computers and many of our devices. Some of these were specific to Intel. Basically, the two big CPU chip manufacturers for, for computers today are Intel by far and then AMD, Advanced Micro Devices. These guys make the, the brains for most of our computers like vast majority of our computers. So when we find bugs in these things, it affects everything. So, you know, they scrambled for the original Spectre and Meltdown, you know, and there were multiple variants of each one, uh, uh pushing out patches either through Microsoft or through even worse, through BIOS changes, which nobody knows how to do that. <laughs> you know, they're there there were nasty bugs. Well, turns out there's more. And the new bugs, they're, they're calling them now Spectre NG for next gen, next generation and they found more bugs, and right now they're kind of in this hush-hush mode. It was kind of leaked, honestly, because the way it's supposed to work when, you know, when researchers find these things is they find them. They privately and secretly notify the affected parties so that they can fix them and get the fixes out and published before uh, they make it known so that the bad guys aren't aware. Because if the, once the bad guys know that these bugs are there, they're going to immediately jump on these and try to exploit them. So anyway, right now it was leaked a little bit, and as far as we know, it affects Intel chips for sure, uh, but it may also affect AMD, AMD chips and even ARM chips. Now, ARM processors, ARM, uh, are typically found in smaller devices like your, your iPhones, your iPads. Those are all ARM-based or ARM-type uh, CPU chips. So if it, if it affects those, we're not, even, we're not talking about just desktop and, desktop and laptop and server computers. We're talking about mobile devices as well. So the fixes are being created right now. Um, uh, What we hear is the the fixes maybe come out in two waves: one in May and maybe one in August. So just, you know, as always, keep up to date. Make sure that you've got your devices registered so that, you know, when their bugs are found, they can let you know. And uh, be aware that there will be some very important fixes coming out soon. And when you see them, jump on them, get them installed. Firefox, my favorite web browser, has reached version 60, and in version 60, they've got a couple of really new uh, cool technologies that I want to talk about briefly here, Uh, and we may uh, dive into further in a a later show. Uh, The major browsers out out there are Chrome, Google's Chrome, which is by far the most used browser on the planet, um, uh, followed distantly by Firefox, Apple's Safari, uh, Microsoft's Internet Explorer, uh, and Edge, which is kind of their new version of Internet Explorer. Then then there are some other ones, Opera, Brave. There's there's actually a lot of web browsers out there. Most people use Chrome. I personally recommend everybody use Firefox. Uh, While Chrome is extremely secure, it's not very private. Um, It's owned by Google, and I would just assume that anything you do on a Chrome browser, unless you've turn down all your privacy settings way down and hope and pray that Google honors those, I would just assume your privacy is not protected with Chrome. So I recommend Firefox personally. Um, and this is just more example, Firefox is always coming out with some uh, great new security and privacy features. Um, they're really ramping it up recently too, and uh, and this Firefox 60 is no different. So couple of features that are built into Firefox 60, one of them is called DNS over HTTPS. I know that's a lot of word salad there. Um, DNS is domain name service, and that is the service that we've talked about recently where every time you go to google.com, amazon.com, yahoo.com, whenever, whenever you look those things up and try to go to those websites, computers don't deal in those things. Computers, um, the network deals in IP addresses. So you have to convert google.com to some IP address, and DNS is the service that does that. But the problem with DNS is that it's not... Private. Currently, it was never built that way. So all these, all the queries when I want to say, you know, tell me what the IP address for google.com is, or tell me what the IP address for yahoo.com is, uh, is not private. So your internet service provider at a minimum sees those requests go by and therefore knows all the websites you're going to, even if the communications you have eventually after that are encrypted. They still have the metadata knowing that uh, of what sites you're going to be going to. So anyway, uh, DNS over HTTPS. And if you recall, HTTP is kind of the the web protocol. It's whenever you go to a website, it's always HTTP or HTTPS colon slash slash blah, 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 blah. Uh, the S in HTTPS is for secure, meaning that those connections are encrypted, which means that nobody between you and the site you're going to can see what you guys are talking about. And so if you put DNS over HTTPS, now all of a sudden your DNS queries are encrypted and they are not uh, able to be seen along the way by your internet service provider or whoever else to know what sites you're going to. I know it's a long way around, but it's, it's a good development. Um, it's not widely supported yet, but it's a good it's a good step in the in that direction. If you were to use uh, Firefox 60 in conjunction with the Cloudflare's 1111 service for DNS, that's 1.1.1.1. If you use those together, that would work today. And then your DNS queries would be encrypted, which is great. Now, I do want to caution this. This is not a a huge privacy win because your internet service provider and everybody else can still see what IP addresses you're going to. Uh, And they could figure out what those IP addresses belong to by basically doing a reverse DNS, um, changing the IP address back to the host name. That's still possible, but it's still a step in the right direction. Uh, the other thing that is included in Firefox 60 is called WebAuthn. <laughs> it's uh, Web-A-U-T-H-N, which is short for web authentication. Uh, it's a new standard that they're using that they're claiming as a password killer. Uh, of course, we've heard about password killers for years now. We'll see how this one goes. But what this really means is it trades off using passwords, like you know, logging into websites with passwords, with having a little USB flash drive key that you keep with you. Uh, and if you take this little USB key and you stick it in your computer, this new web WebAuthn technology will allow your browser to query the key for your credentials and you'll never be asked to password ever again. That sounds great, it could be good. Now, what that means is you'll have to physically carry this key with you everywhere you go and you'll have to plug it into every computer with, um, with a USB port. So you got to hope that there's an available USB port on every computer you use. You got to, you know, so you got to remember to plug it in. You got to remember to take it with you when you leave. Don't leave it somewhere. I don't know. I, I'm. It's interesting. We'll see how it goes. I personally think that using a password manager is even better. Uh, LastPass is always with you wherever you go because you can get to it anywhere you can get on the internet. You'll never forget it. You'll never leave it somewhere. Um, I still think password managers are best, but it's interesting. We'll see. Maybe some people will find that better. There's no reason not to give it a shot. So I'm glad that Firefox is at the forefront of these things and uh, including these technologies so we can give them a try. Now, if you have a pacemaker or an internal defibrillating device that I'll get to the technical terms here in a minute, which I know nothing about, I fully admit, then you might want to check your manufacturer and check with your doctor to see if you're due for a software update, because apparently there's been some security bugs found in these things, uh, which are not good. Let me read a little article here from Naked Security blog, uh, which is from Sophos. And it says, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, last month approved a firmware patch. Firmware is another name for software. A firmware patch are devices made by Abbott's, formerly St. Jude Medical, that are vulnerable to cybersecurity attacks and which are at risk of sudden battery loss. Some 350,000 patients are affected. The FDA is recommending that all eligible patients get the firmware update, quote, at their next regularly scheduled visit or when appropriate, depending on the preferences of the patient and the physician, unquote. The cybersecurity vulnerabilities were found in Abbott's radio frequency or RF-enabled implantable cardio... Wait, let me get this right. Implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICDs, and cardiac resynchronization therapy defibrillators or CRT Ds. Basically, uh, <laughs> these things, that was the end of my quote. Uh, these pacemakers um, or defibrillators that are built into your body can accept radio frequency signals, which, you know, which is good. That means they can communicate with, you know, they can update the software. They can do things with these things without having to go back into surgery and take them out and put it back in. That all makes, you know, that all makes sense. But unfortunately, that's a downside as well, because radio frequencies are really hard to police. And if you get those wrong, and in this case, they kind of did their authentication scheme, which means the things that they allow to give them commands over the radio waves is not good. (laughs) So, A hacker, potentially, and there's no known cases of this yet, uh, but a hacker could potentially, if they want to be extremely malicious, could get within radio frequency distance of people with these devices, figure out how to authenticate with them. In other words, fool them into believing that they are a valid remote control authority. And send commands to these devices, uh, commands that could cause serious harm to the people uh, wearing them. So I don't want to freak you out, but if you've got one of these things, uh, again, I, I, I know of, uh, everything I've read, there are no cases of this actually happening. And it sounds like they're not in a big hurry uh, to get you to um, get these updates. But if you have one of these devices, you should definitely talk to your doctor and make sure you set up an appointment to get uh, your software and your pacemaker updated quick shout out to twitter users if you've got a twitter account and have not seen the news you should uh, definitely go change your twitter password uh, and unfortunately if you use that same password somewhere else you should change every place you use that password which of course means you should not be doing that so if you're going to bother changing your password and for some reason you use that same password in multiple places when you change it everywhere else make them all unique so the 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 warning that we got from twitter was says that uh when you set a password for your Twitter account, we use technology that masks it so that no one uh, no one at the company can see it. However, we recently identified a bug that stored passwords unmasked in an internal log. We have fixed the bug, and our investigation shows no indication of a breach or misuse by anyone. Out of an abundance of caution, we ask that you consider changing your password on all services where you've used this password. So again... They were trying to do the right thing, but they, you know, somebody missed something, and that's all, that's the way these things go. Um, and somebody, and somewhere in their system, that they have logs of what's going on. That's very common. Uh, but unfortunately, in these logs were passwords that had not been scrambled, so uh, they were available um, to potentially for hacking. So they're just saying since it, they may have been hacked, uh, now would be a good time to change your Twitter password. All right, just a couple more stories, and then we'll get to our tip of the week. Uh, Apple's new iOS 11.4. Uh, we're on 11.3 now. Um, 11.4 will be coming out soon. It's going to be featuring what they call a USB lockout feature. Uh, again, this is from Naked Security, another one of their blog entries. Let me read this real quick. Mobile forensics researchers recently discovered a major new security feature while poking around in the beta version of Apple's upcoming 11.4 release, due soon. It's called USB Restricted Mode, a feature that popped up in uh, iOS 11.3 beta but didn't make it into the final release. The feature snips the USB data connection over the lightning port if the device hasn't been unlocked for a week. The device can still be charged over USB, but after 7 days it won't give up data without a passcode, meaning that at least some backdoor ways to get at data won't work anymore. Uh, if the device is unlocked with a passcode, the data to transfer over USB will be re-enabled. But once the lightning port has been disabled for a week, uh, thieves or investigators won't be able to get at data by pairing the device to a computer or a USB accessory. Without a passcode to unlock the device, they won't even be able to get into it using an existing iTunes pairing record used to recognize PCs that are, quote, trusted by the device, also known as a lockdown record. In a post published on Tuesday this guy said that it's not clear yet whether the iPhone unlocking techniques developed by outfits such as gray shift and celebrate will be blocked by the new USB restricted mode. All right. So let me unpack that a little bit. So uh, there's been a lot of debate, certainly since the San Bernardino murder case that involved an iPhone where the FBI and law enforcement says, Hey, we got to get into these devices. They're all locked up and you're not letting us in. We need to be able to get in. And Apple responded and saying, Hey, if you'd gotten back to us in a certain amount of time, there are certain things we could have done, but you didn't. And now we can't even get into it. That's how we designed it. Um, and, you know, so which led to law enforcement agencies lobbying uh, Congress to pass laws to, you know, enable backdoors. And we've talked about those and all that kind of stuff. So Apple uh, is taking the stance, and I think this is honestly the best way for most uh, companies to do. And this is something Phil Zimmerman and I talked about last week on our show, uh, taking the stance that we don't want to be involved. We don't want to even be able to do these things. So we're going to divine, uh, design our devices to be as secure as possible and as private as possible for our customers. That's what they'd want. That's what that they deserve. That's what we're going to do. Um, and just take themselves out of the equation by basically designing it such that there's nothing they can do. And so this new feature, uh, what, I guess what is happening, there's, if you haven't read the news, Grayshift uh, is a company that makes this little four inch by four inch box that uh, supposedly will allow law law enforcement to hack into any iPhone or any iPad. Uh, So it's through that lightning port, that little, you know, that little thin blade port at the bottom of the phone where you charge your phone and you connected your computer and all those things. Um, So what Apple now is apparently doing with this lockout feature is they're saying, if you haven't used your device uh, in a week, um, then we're going to lock it down so that even you cannot get data off that device through the lightning port. You can still charge it. Uh, but you can't get data off of the device. Uh, you have to enter a PIN code in order to unlock the device. So that kind of sounds to me like they're trying to defeat these these new boxes. Celebrite was another company that actually the FBI apparently turned to in the San Bernardino case to unlock the phone. And other phones like it in, a, in other more recent cases. So there are companies out there making a living at hacking iPhones, basically. And they're selling their wares um, and their services to law enforcement and intelligence agencies. And Apple and this cat-and-mouse game is trying to further lock down its devices to prevent that from happening uh, So that your phone is protected and you know whenever, when, Whatever you think about oh, yeah law enforcement and the government should definitely be able to get into my phone You know think about other governments think about China think about Syria think about russia Do you want those governments getting into their people's phones? You know at what point you know the government isn't always the good guy And you know even law enforcement uh, these things can be abused so you know you got to draw that line, and and because there's really no good way to make a door that only good guys can walk through, you got to close the door for everybody. Uh, so I applaud Apple for uh, cranking up their their privacy and security even further, uh, and I look forward to having this feature in the next iOS. Uh, one final note, and it's more of a programming note: the the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, which is the new EU laws that are going into effect on May 25th. Uh, that are sweeping privacy regulations that are uh, very pro-consumer um, are coming into effect very soon, and uh, this could actually affect you though as well as an American business. E- even if you just keep a mailing list, if you've got a mailing list and some of the people on that mailing list may reside in the EU, this affects you as well. Um, now, you know, if you're a very small business, then the chances of it affecting you are are, are slim, or the penalties will be small. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it's something we should all be aware of. Uh, I've got a great interview coming up next week with Ruth Carter about GDPR and how it, uh, how it's going to affect Europe as and as well how it's going to affect the rest of us who don't live in Europe. So check that out next week for sure. Uh, and be prepared for GDPR. It's coming into effect May 25th. Okay, now one last little bit of news, and it leads right into our tip of the week, as usual. And uh, Lifehacker uh, had an article about this, as did several others. Uh, Life Lifehacker is a great site, by the way. Um, they, got some, they got some great articles on there. Uh, check that out if you get a chance. Uh, this one is talking about WhatsApp. And WhatsApp, if you don't know, is an extremely popular messaging uh, application. So it's very popular, particularly outside the United States. Uh, Because, you know, phone companies love to charge us for stuff and text messaging is the is the is the most recent cash cow, uh, which cost them almost nothing. uh, But they've been charging us for it for a long time. Now, most plans today are unlimited, uh, at least here in the United States. But that's not that always certainly wasn't true. So international texting in particular uh, is still not free in a lot of cases. So. WhatsApp filled that gap uh, and it became extremely popular. I think it's got a one and a half billion users or something like that. It's uh, probably the most popular messaging app on the planet. And it's basically, you know, a text messaging app. It uh, allows you to send text messages and pictures and things to people all over the planet. And it's free. It was also known for being quite private. Uh, and it was bought by Facebook uh, a few years back for an ungodly sum of money. And the, let me just read you the, uh, with that as backdrop, let me read you this um article from Lifehacker. Privacy has always been a key feature and popular selling point for the messaging app WhatsApp. Company co-founder Jan Koum grew up in the Soviet Union under heavy government surveillance, and he promised to keep user data protected after Facebook acquired WhatsApp in 2014. Now, with Koum on the way out, it may be time to ditch WhatsApp before that promise leaves with him. According to the New York Times, as detailed by an anonymous Facebook executive, Coombe was growing increasingly concerned by Facebook's focus on collecting and selling user data. He attempted to push back where possible, but felt that Facebook's board of directors, quote, paid lip service to the privacy and security concerns he raised, unquote. An engineer at WhatsApp also told The Times that without Coombe, the rest of the team worries that Facebook may change the app to track even more data and someday might even drop advertising into the app. So that's from the article. Um, Basically... WhatsApp was a great app, and then it got bought by Facebook, and we all know what Facebook likes to do with your user data, um, and it, it, it tends to get worse over time, not better. So as popular as it is, uh, my tip of the week is to try something else. Um, and just like I recommended dropping Facebook a while back, which I, I did myself, I dropped my personal and my business Facebook accounts out of protest that's a great way to go too. But as long as you're doing that, you may seriously want to consider uh, getting rid of WhatsApp as well. And I know it's going to be hard. The problem with these messaging apps is they are not compatible with each other. So it's not like I can be using WhatsApp and you could be using iMessage and we can talk to each other. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. That is the problem with all of these messaging apps is they're all proprietary and they're all closed systems. Uh, So like Facebook, people go to Facebook because people are on Facebook. Uh, You know, once it got so big... That was the only place to go because that's where everybody was. WhatsApp is kind of like that too, unfortunately. Uh, But let me make this plea to you. It's important for all of us to assert our right to privacy. We want to support those services that do not track us, that do not abuse us, that do not take our user information uh, and use it for their own money-making purposes, either directly or indirectly by selling it to others. Um, You can argue all you want about the the merits of capitalism and whether or not these people have the right to give away a free service and then use your data for profit. But the problem with that is, is that data now has been collected and that data then is subject to abuse or being stolen uh, either by law enforcement or um, uh, intelligence agencies or hackers. And they may not be our countries. They may be other countries, governments and hackers. So. (sighs) We need to get away from that business model somehow. We need to find another way to pay for these services. And there are some services out there that are free, that are altruistically free. Uh these people are doing it as a public service. Uh they're taking donations, they're getting their money other ways. Um they're not out to make a profit. They're out to protect our privacy. And one of those that I want to highly recommend today is Signal. Uh Signal um is a is a nonprofit group. Uh, you can look you can look them up at signal.org uh, and check out their products. They've got messaging apps that work on Mac, PC, iOS, and Android. So basically all the major platforms and they interoperate. So if I'm on a if I'm on an iOS device, if I'm on an iPhone, I can talk to somebody else who's on an Android device or a, a Windows PC. Uh, and we can have private, very, very private, highly secure conversations across the planet. Now there are there are other apps. Uh, and if for some reason you don't like Signal, you can try these other ones as well. Uh, iMessage is great, but of course that requires an iPhone uh, on both ends. Uh, there is no iMessage for Windows or for Android, which makes it very restrictive. Uh, there's one called Wire, which Phil Zimmerman talked about last week. Uh, I know some others, like there's one called CryptoCat, uh, Threema, uh, like the number uh, or the T-H-R-E-E. M A. Uh, and as far as I know, those are also very secure, but I'd like to throw my, uh, behind signal. Uh, they've been doing some great work. They're using open source software. So it's, uh, it could be vetted by security professionals. Uh, and it has been, they're doing great work. And, uh, I would like to just recommend to just as a little protest thing, or even if you just want to mess around with it and say, Oh, Hey, let's just give this a try, get you and a few of your friends to download and install. Signal. Give it a shot. Try it out, and just know that that app is extremely secure um, and should always be so. It's not. There's no corporation behind it. It's not going to get bought out by somebody else who's going to use it for nefarious purposes. Um, these guys are doing the right thing, and um, I highly recommend it. So, anyway, I, my tip of the week is just just try it because until we get people, until we get a critical mass of, of people using these things, they're they're not going to take off. So use this as an opportunity to try something different. Uh, it works really well. It's very easy. It's based on your phone number. So as soon as you put it in there, it will pre-populate everybody else. It knows that is using signal that you, um, that you might know, uh, anybody in your contact list that has a, a cell phone registered against signal will show up in your list. Um, so install it, tell your friends, and family to install it, give it a shot, try it out, try to use it more than you use other things. Uh, try to use it instead of WhatsApp. Um, and just kind of, you know, see if we can get this more uh, more widely adopted and maybe someday we can make this one the new standard that everybody uses. All right, that wraps up another show. Uh, as always, please go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com for a lot more resources and information. I've got the blog there. I've got the uh, bi-weekly newsletter. You can sign up and have these tips. Uh, A lot of my weekly tips sent to you directly every two weeks. Uh, When you sign up for that, you'll also get a little download of my top five uh, computer security tips as well, just for signing up. Uh, Please tell other people about this as well. Uh, If you'd like to support me more directly, you can go to Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and look up Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, and I would love to get your support there as well. Uh, The book, of course, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, is available at Amazon.com. Uh, it's got over 130 tips in it for keeping yourself safe. Uh, they're all almost all simple. Many of them are free things that we should all be doing to keep ourselves safe. And the, 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 the more we all do these things, the safer we'll all be. So my usual pitch. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we got a great interview show coming up for you next week about the GDPR. Tune in for that because it affects even the people outside the EU, even uh, mom and pop people. Uh, just with running newsletters. So you'll want to definitely listen to that as well. And as always, folks, until next week, take care and don't get caught with your